ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the gun rack, Northern Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks call me Joey, and with me, we have one Drew Poplin. Drew Poplin. I may be coming in a little weird. Uh, warn you guys right now I'm actually technically on vacation right now um, I am in the car on the move I'm hands-free um, so nothing fishy going on there but uh, we uh, we wanted to put this episode out today so we're recording while I'm still on vacation which I'm happy to do but in case you hear anything weird that's why what's going on that's what's going on I was concerned you're uh, calling from like underground or something. I wasn't sure where you were. I am in the southeast somewhere, uh, somewhere that's very swampy, and the reception is kind of dodgy. Drew's actually playing interference um, to see what's coming through correctly and what's not. Where we, I have been vacationing the past few days, and I have a story for that, which I'm actually going to tag into the topic of our uh, podcast a little bit later. I didn't tell Drew what it was because I want his live reaction to what took place. Um, it's pretty fun, but That's before exciting. we do, yeah, before we do that, let's go through our, uh, our normal daily check-in stuff. Um, let's go through Drew's clues. And before we get into the question and answer, uh, we had multiple people chime in, uh, for Drew's clues this week. Drew, who are they? Absolutely. Um, we, Want to give a shout out to Zane and Zachary this week, uh, who both wrote in. And I believe their stuff is already sent out and on the way, so hopefully that gets really? to them soon. I think so. I, um, do you relay the stuff to our shipping people? Uh, I, I, I relate at least one of them. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll sort that out. Yeah, I was about to say if you don't get something very soon, uh, we will figure it out and get it to you this week. Um, we are also, this is not a promise, um, listeners, but there has been some discussion with my boss of getting some proprietary gun rack, uh, swag out there. Um, so hopefully that'll come out soon. It might be as ethereal and delayed as the new intro was, um, (laughs) for this podcast. (laughs) I think someday before we all perish of natural causes, um, those will exist, even if I have to make a single one for myself. So uh, keep sending stuff in. Even if you sent stuff in before, feel free to keep sending them in. And uh, as we have new swag to give out, we will share it. Um, if you've never uh, sent in before, marketing at sdi.edu or commenting on our particular podcast episode on the YouTube page, either one is going to uh, work just fine for us. We monitor both those things very closely. And uh, once you send in, send in your shirt size as well. Um, if you feel brave enough to add an address to a bunch of strangers on the first email, totally awesome. Uh, if you do not, uh, we'll get back to you and try to get that if you get your answer right. Uh, but we love the response we've been getting these past few weeks. Keep it coming. Uh, we love, love, love having the opportunity to, uh, 
to share this trivia stuff with you. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and get into this week. Give you opportunity to write in. So last week's answer was the Scorpion VZ61. Um, not CZ, VZ. Now this week's clues. This Italian bolt-action rifle was introduced in 1891, had a capacity of six rounds and was utilized in both world wars, and it fires a 6.5 by 52 millimeter cartridge. What firearm am I talking about? This one, I think I do know. The, um, this, this one should be, should be an easier pickup than this past week. The VZ-61 is, I think, is probably the most difficult firearm we've put in the trivia lineup. So we'll see. We'll see what the bounce back is. I was shocked that that was the one where we had multiple correct answers. Right. <laughs> but way to go, guys. Uh, you, are, uh, you are on the ball. And uh, hopefully you guys will get this one as well. Uh, send that in once again to marketing at sbi.edu. Or feel free to comment on our YouTube channel. We put all our podcasts up there in audiogram form. And uh, stick a comment there as well if you would prefer. Either way, uh, we pay attention and we would love to send some swag your way. All right. Drew's Clues checked off today's to-do list. What's next? Well, we got to talk about SDI. We got to talk about SDI. We got to do it. So Sonoran Desert Institute, in case you didn't know, is an online school with a focus in firearms technology and unmanned technology. That means we're talking about gunsmiths and we're talking about drone dudes. And uh, we love, love, love the opportunity that we get to help people uh, learn these things at a, at a proper formal education level every single day. So with us, there are three programs. There's the Associate of Science of Firearms Technology, that's our ASFT. Uh, there is the Certificate in Firearms Technology Gunsmithing, that's the CFTG. And then we have the Certificate of Unmanned Technology Aerial Systems, the CUTAS. If you hop on to SDI.edu, you can see a description of all three programs. I strongly encourage you to go check it out. If you're not a part of the team already, feel free to join us at SDI.edu. Wonderful. Wonderful. So should we go ahead uh, transition into our main topic today? Yes, we're going to talk about concealed carry belts today and if there's something you need or not. Um, and a secret fun surprise that you guys will, will find out here pretty shortly. Um, so what is a concealed carry belt uh, as opposed to a normal belts true when you hear concealed carry belt what are you thinking uh i'm thinking something that maybe i wouldn't necessarily call stylish but is practical has the is sort of made in a way to where you can wear your concealed carry easier with it yeah valid oh was there more to that uh no i was just going to say probably comes in black or dark gray or something something maybe a maybe a desert camo or something yeah it can it can come in kind of all the colors of the wind i had a um i still have an olive draft one hiding out there somewhere i don't remember where it is but concealed carry belts are belts that are designed to hold a concealed carry firearm without sagging your pants or ruining your belts a lot of firearms especially firearms that are loaded uh, can weigh quite a lot on a regular 
office belt, especially if you're wearing something that's like, I wear a lot of woven belts because I find them to be very comfortable. Um, and they do not hold up firearms uh, particularly well most of the time. People that are wearing those cheap belts that have cardboard inside of them, first of all, treat yourself, do a little better because um, they don't hold anything, including your pants. <laughs> but obviously those are not going to hold something up that weighs more than a pound. And of course, including your holster uh, and firearm, we're looking at, I don't even know what the, the max would be, but we're talking about more than a pound vast majority of the time. Um, so it's not an in, uh, in, insubstantial weight that's sitting on your hip. So when we're looking at that, we want to find something high quality and sturdy so that whatever you're weighing your waistline down with, you don't feel it. And it's just like backpacking, right? If you don't go backpacking and you're like, I'm going to go backpacking, you're going to be under the impression, most people are, that uh, the weight that you carry is supported on your back. That's not true. It's not in your shoulder straps. It's on your waist because your waist is a lot better at carrying stuff than your uh, shoulders are um, most of the time. So I know that there's not necessarily uh, a big market for shoulder strap carry, but the point is that waist carry requires, waist carry is the best way to carry your handgun in terms of kind of weight bearing. Um, and I do have a shoulder holster, but more than that, to bring this back from that weird rabbit trail, a good concealed carry belt, a really solid concealed carry belt can make you forget that there's a weight sitting on your, on your waist. So when you are choosing a concealed carry belt, we're going to need to consider a few things. A lot of these will just be really, really, really sturdy leather. And that's okay as long as you have a really good leather, right? There's some leather belts out there that are flimsy. That's not what you want. Uh, generally, you're going to do well with a proper gun belt. Um, a lot of them will have some sort of insert in them specifically for retention. Looking out for that is a almost always a good idea. These are not overly expensive. I think my concealed carry belt that I use the most often was $32. A lot of belts that you're going to buy at the store that are decent quality are about 20. So the upgrade is not overly expensive. So when we're looking at concealed carry belts, we want to talk about capacity. How much weight can it hold? Uh, concealability. Is it a ridiculously conspicuous belt that is obvious to everyone that you're carrying? And we want to talk about fit. Some of these belts, I have one gun belt currently that's so wide that it doesn't fit inside of a normal set of belt loops on a pair of jeans, which is I, it didn't even occur to me to check that out until uh, I got got, essentially. Um, talk through some of those uh, specifications. And you can also get all sorts of different kinds of belts in terms of leather, um, in terms of inserts. And a lot of that is dealer's choice, as long as you are, are sure that you're getting a reputable uh, brand, which is pretty easy to do. But first things first, is there a significant difference, really, in the capacity to carry weight uh, with a concealed carry belt versus a regular belt. So normally I wear either woven belts, which I won't use for this example because they're particularly vulnerable to this kind of thing. 
or leather belts that are generally just a strap of leather, right? Nothing bound together. So it's a nice, kind of cheap, honestly, piece of leather that is got to have a nice look on the outside and it's maybe not even super refined on the inside, just super basic stuff, cheap, but uh, works and tends not to get marks. And I don't care about finish too much as long as it looks professional and presentable. And it does. You carry that. I carry that with my six hour C3. It has six rounds of 45 ACP inside of it. I am going to have a bad time. The belt, no matter how hard I try, is not going to hold right. It's not going to fit right because that's not what it's designed to do. It is struggling when I use it to hold the weight up rather than being able to focus on ratcheting that carry uh, as close to your body as possible for a good concealed carry fit. So there's a weight bearing issue there. But the, uh, the other big difference, and the best way I know how to use this as an example, was the, um, that Recondo Operations Group class that we talked about just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I don't have Molly gear. I think it's pronounced Molly. Forgive me if it's not M-O-L-L-E. I've never used it, so I uh, might not know how to pronounce it correctly. Uh, but I think it's Molly. A lot of folks did, and so they came out with the, they had their magazine uh, into mag holders that are designed to go into Molly and all these other things that are, you know, they're able to hook it all up within this system that they built, and I don't have that. So I had a two AK mag pouch, so like two separate individual AK mag pouches together, and with that... I was able to take two fully loaded AK magazines and my TriStar T100 with 15 rounds in it, 16 rounds in it. There's plus one on the side of my hip. The magazines were on essentially my five o'clock and then on my, what is it? Nine o'clock. I was holding two additional 15 round mags for the TriStar T100. So I was carrying 46, a plus 60, 106 rounds on this concealed carry belt alone. I looped the, the Molly adaptable, Molly adaptable mag holder through the belt loop. Essentially, it was kind of loose, but it, it fit. I put all that there and was not able to notice a thing. And that was a 30-something dollar belt, which I'm almost positive is what it's cost if I go. Uh, again, I'm on the road. If I find that it's not the case, I'll fix that next week. So you guys don't have an inaccurate picture of what we're looking at, but um, that's what you can do with a good carry belt. Um, it can really take care of you if you want to carry other things. Uh, I also use it for hiking sometimes, and we'll stick a canteen on there, and even uh, you can even put like a first aid kit pouch on there. You can do the whole dad thing where you've got the fanny pack and uh, all that good stuff. It's great, but I really enjoy having one uh, for all those reasons. It's very practical and they can be stylish um, and they can make your concealed carry experience more comfortable on top of just being better for concealment. So let's go through some options for your concealed carry. Um, colors can be as varied as regular belts. Uh, I'm sure there's some weird ones you can't get but there are lots of options out there that are perfectly fine. I have a nice bright brown, almost tan that I use most of the time. I have a black one that I use. Uh, I actually had to lose weight to use it again. Because uh, really? 
I got it years ago. Um, I know we're gonna we're gonna go into the concealed carry holster dude, for that whole episode at some point later. Dude, I had one. Quick. Did you ever have one of those belts that was like the reversible? It was like two belts in one. Yes, totally did. Dude, those were like Sunday morning saviors when I was like getting ready to go to church and stuff as yeah. a kid. It pull was that, like pull that buckle out, twist it around, lock it in, dapper dad. Absolutely, you're good to go. Now, if we want to yeah, talk about fu- if we want to talk functionality here, you know. Yeah, I would love to see that on a concealed carry belt. I bet it's out there somewhere. I just haven't taken the time to look. Um, so with your uh, belt, you want to make sure it's not too thin. Uh, for obvious reasons, but not too thick, which is the one I worry about too much in terms of being able to fit it through belt loops. And uh, in terms of color, yeah, I've got one that's light brown, I've got one that's black. Everything, most things go well with black. And uh, you can look like you are uh, coordinating your things together. And uh, that sounds silly, but uh, anything that would lead someone to believe that you're carrying a firearm is very counterintuitive to the concept of concealed carry. So if you're carrying one belt, that's very obviously a gun belt, uh, you're not concealed carrying, <laughs> not really. So try to get something that blends in with your clothes. It doesn't mean you can't be stylish. I know all you out there are styling. So, uh, I won't uh, tell you too much how to look, but Try to get some stuff that'll fit your everyday life that's not abundantly obvious that it's a gun belt. Save that for your uh, competition shoots out there, all you uh, uh, high-speed individuals that uh, love that stuff. And uh, for me, that ended up with two colors. I could be more for you. I've got an olive drab somewhere, but actually I bought it, and then I lost weight, and now it's too big, which is a good problem to have, but it's super reinforced, so I can't poke a hole through it to uh to make it the correct size again there are some i don't have any of these uh but a lot of the options out there for concealed carry will involve some sort of ratchet system as opposed to a buckle and hole situation um and there is value to that i think if i found one that i liked i'd pick one up pretty much on the spot um if you've got your buckle and hole situation they're plugged in Every, I don't know, half inch to an inch, I'm sure there's an actual measurement on that. And your margin for error in terms of how wide your waist is and how wide your waist is with a firearm attached to it is done in increments of half an inch, which means that sometimes your firearm could be a little loose and not fitting to your body the way that you want it to, or you have to pee constantly and you don't have circulation to your legs. Like that's the dance you get to do if, <laughs> if it doesn't sync up quite right with your waist. Generally, I defer to the side of um, too tight to maintain that concealability, but also it can genuinely hurt sometimes. So that's, I won't blame anyone else for not making that same choice. But if you are concerned about that, something with a kind of a ratchet system with multiple notches, just over and over and over again over a specific uh, length of the belt uh, could be something worth your time. There are, it used to be that that was pretty uncommon, but that's a pretty common thing now. Um, if you look up concealed carry belts within the first, I don't know, five websites that you go poking around at, I, I would bet pretty strongly that one of them has that option for you. Um, something to consider. Definitely, inter- a lot of them come in some sort of uh, nylon rather than leather. 
nothing wrong with that. Again, as long as you still have some level of concealability going on. Just so you want to ratchet it in tight, whichever way you go. And uh, this is one of those things where you can do a lot of research. And uh, there's not, like, I would say with concealed carry holsters, there are definitely some wrong options out there. We talked about that at the Recondo Operations Group podcast. Again, we're not doing some sort of official dunk on a, on a holster company, but we did have some people say that, this, that uh, there were some issues with the holster that I brought. And with concealed carry belts, I'm sure there's some, some crappy ones out there. There's, that's always the case, right? There's shoddy craftsmanship wherever we go for anything. But the margin for error is wider, right? You need something that can hold a lot of weight, that looks normal, and won't get muffed up when you go just, you know, kind of farting around your day, uh, whatever it is that you do. So, uh, and, and it fits you, right? That's all it's got to be. It's got to be comfortable, dependable, and uh, fashionable is the wrong word, but you know what I mean at this point. So there's a lot of options out there. Uh, my favorite one that I use the most, I got on Amazon. My other one that I received from my grandfather, he might also have gotten it on Amazon. I'm not sure about that one, though. Um, there's another brand out there. It's a little more expensive than the ones I bought. Hank's Belt has an excellent reputation. I have never used them, but I have multiple friends that have spoken very highly of them. So worth noting, Hank's Belt is worth a look. They're a very big belt company. So if you look up Hank's Belt, you'll find them. They have a lot of options out there. So a lot of different opportunities here for concealed carry belts to vary them to your style, um, to your uh, price point. And uh, if I were you, I'd get more than one even. And uh, get one to cover your bases. And then uh, if it doesn't work exactly right, a little bit later, pick up another one in a different color, see if it works for you, and just slowly make your way through until you find that exact right fit, just like holsters. And even just like the right firearm, though, hopefully you have a firearm that fits you just right, uh, right away. Now, uh, I wanted to talk for a second because uh, I was up till five in the morning doing this um, about the uh, different kinds of material you can get for the exterior of your belt, right? Because you got to be styling on top of the concealability. So, Drew... Can you list off for me some options that um, that you could get for a belt in terms of material? Uh, I'm thinking shag carpet uh, would be my... Shag carpet, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we really want to talk about style. Um, I mean, definitely leather. You know, I feel like leather, would, for me, at least would be on top of my list. Um, yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, almost more of a nylon um yeah I mean, have you ever really seen have stuff. you ever seen a plastic one like okay like i'm sure they're out there i i've seen um, i i just had the image of like being a kid in like my older sister's closet having like five of these colorful plastic belts and they looked awful there's some where i don't think i've seen any with plastic on the exterior although I, i'm confident you could find one if you have enough time um but a lot of people do a rigid plastic as their core that that's the thing that can't bend and then they'll put a very light veneer of nylon around it 
Ah. Um, which is functionally a plastic belt for all intents and purposes, but it has a different um, aesthetic. So you're in the right family for these. But within, there's a lot of different kinds of leather. So what kind of leather do you want to have for this gun belt? Ooh, I got to be honest with you. I'm not up to date on my kinds of leather. Think different animals rather than like some sort of, of grain of leather. Yeah, yeah. I. So this will be wild and out there. Uh, so you need to bear with me. But back in the day, I used to have some soccer cleats that were made out of kangaroo leather. I was talking about that with someone a couple days ago. That's so bizarre. What? Yeah. They were, and they were extremely comfortable. They yeah, were, our friend Chad was talking about kangaroo skin shoes what? for soccer. Yeah. Man, I never thought soccer would come up on this podcast, but here we are. Here um, we are. I mean, probably some sort of like, you know, steer. Ooh, maybe like a like buffalo. Like a what? Like a buffalo or like a bison. Ooh, I don't know if you could get bison leather. I'm uh, find that out. Oh, uh, there's alligator leather, isn't there? There is alligator leather. Um, it might be called alligator skin, but if anyone here is going to be weird about the difference between skin and leather, uh, we're not here for the technicality. <laughs> uh, but you keep dancing around shark skin like the one I caught at three this morning. Wait, 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 wait. You caught a shark? I caught a shark this morning. At three in the morning. With cat. Okay. Okay. One, I didn't know that the Ripley's Aquarium was open that late. So I know, which actually, we went fishing because we couldn't go to Ripley's Aquarium early in the day. (laughs) (laughs) It's all full circle, man. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was amazing. So we took our friends, for those of you who don't know, we took our friend Kat out to, I have been taking her fishing. I think this is our third time. She's always wanted to fish. She didn't have an outdoorsy family. And a lot of us are, are uh, artsy, theatery people. A lot of marketing people are actually, fun fact for you guys. So while we love the guns and stuff, a lot of our friends are not outdoorsy. Um, so I've been kind of teaching her how to do that. And uh, we went a couple times in freshwater and didn't catch a thing. And it was kind of a running joke at this point that we'd spent like eight hours fishing without producing any results. And uh, so she was like, she wasn't sure she was going to come on this trip, actually, because we're with a couple friends. And I was like, if you go, I will take you fishing on a pier knowing in my head that pier fishing uh, in the ocean is you're fishing in the surf, which is, uh, I find it to be significantly more difficult mm. than, um, you know, toss the bobber in the water because you're trying to keep your, your crap out of the surf and you have to have your, your, your doing your line totally different, yada, yada, yada. And I feel like it smells significantly worse too. It smells so bad, dude. And then, uh, we were out there, and because it was so late, there was a period of time where on this third of a mile long fishing pier, Cat uh, and I were the only people on it. It was almost a complete new moon, and there was total cloud cover. It was like you were on the edge of the world. It was oh. so cool. Um, the uh, 
looked out and the horizon and the sky don't meet. It's just black. It looked like something out of Stranger Things. It was truly amazing. Um, and then it started to get lit up by heat lightning. It was oh so cool. But the um, we're out there fishing and some dude or dudette left a, a little thing of uh, bait that you can buy at the um, shoot at the shop. There's twenty four seven. Got a little bait shop and there's like. You can also get ice cream there, which is the grossest combination of oh, things like a possibly Yeah. Um, it's it's basically like a little touristy boardwalky thing, but also a place where you can fish. Uh-huh. And uh, but the fishermen there are super serious. I watched a dude throw in a uh, hook with a four pound piece of stingray attached to it, trying oh, to get a big So we picked up I picked up some night crawlers because I'd actually never gone saltwater fishing with night crawlers before. Like, let's figure this one out. And uh, someone had left behind a thing of frozen dead squid. And we opened it because we're filthy scavenger goblins. <laughs> yes. And it was the grossest thing I think I've ever smelled in my life. Um, and it, it was pretty foul. Um, and yeah, so we started using night crawlers. And we're seeing small schools of fish, like small, both in the sense that there weren't a ton of them, but also they were very small in length. And uh, we're like, okay, we're going to toss out there and just see if something will inhale this stupid worm. Because poor cat needs to catch a fish sometime in her life. And uh, we're tossing this thing in and I'm knowing in my heart, we're not catching a fish. (laughs) It's not taking place. It's low tide. And um, no one's there anymore. And uh, the pier is just, it's not very deep, even as far out as we went. Yada, yada, yada. So we tossed that thing in, and we're there for probably an hour and a half without anything happening. And uh, eventually, I see something pop, and it's, it's, I'm seeing it, you know, the line get struck, and we pull it out, and it's eaten. And we do that again, and we pull yeah. it out, and it's mm-hmm. And uh, we're like mildly excited, but also annoyed. And uh, so we go out and we're looking, we're like, okay, we're going to find the strongest of the worms that we have. We have 15 worms. We're going to find the mightiest of these worms. And he's going to go do <laughs> battle for us. And we're going to catch a fish this way. Um, oh, and I should have mentioned earlier, there is some either 14 or 15 year old kid sitting at the end of the pier with a professional rig um, standing there like a 55-year-old man dispensing <laughs> advice to everyone there and not like an annoying 15-year-old kid telling you what to do, like sitting there quietly and if you needed help coming and competently helping you for everyone on the pier. Maybe it was like Benjamin Button or something. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> it was utterly bizarre. It used to be that um, I used to fish in Palm Coast, Florida, um, which has a very large Russian-speaking population for whatever reason. And um, every time I went fishing on their pier, I would get approached by some heavily accented Russian dude who would help me uh, fish better. There was a, 
you know, fishermen always think that you're doing so I'm a uh, total noob when it comes to saltwater fishing, so I don't mind. So these guys will come and be like, here's what we can do to make this better. Except in super grumbly Russian accents, and it was super fun. And they, like, all the spirits of all those people I've met over the years were channeled into this one kid um, giving this surreal experience to a dozen people around him. Um, it's Avatar. Absolutely bizarre. Um, and so that kid eventually packs up and leaves. And it's just us on the pier. And when it's just us on the pier, uh, we get another strike. And this this mega worm that we had used, uh, we actually named it. Uh, we named it Samson. And uh, we put that thing on, on the hook uh, three times over. And uh, we're super careful. We dropped this. Uh, we dropped this thing right around where the school of small fish was. And we get a strike on the reel or a rod. And I was like, dang it, it's gone again. And then it pops again and it pops again. And I'm like, cat, go get the reel. You're, we're getting hit right now. We were splitting a, a rod for reasons I'll explain in a minute. And um, uh, she started uh, fighting this little thing and she's pulling on it. And uh, I, I told her to pull it back so that she could set the, I don't know if you fish it all through, but I didn't want her to lose the thing. So I had her set the hook. So I had her pull it back really hard. Yeah. But it was very clear that it was not big. I could tell just from how the, the end of the pole was bobbing around. Um, but it was, you know, it was fighting its little best. And uh, cat pulls and pulls and pulls and, and reels it in. And it is a, it's called a croaker. If you look up a croaker, it's the most generic looking fish you could possibly imagine. Um, but, and it was also, it, it was cat's first fish, which will always make it special. Uh, it was seven inches long. The itty bitty teeny weeny little fish. Cat <laughs> uh, was so happy and over the moon. And on that hook was the worm, which the fish missed and had gotten hooked instead. So Samson not only produced our very first fish as a fishing partnership, uh, but survived to the end of the day, which is pretty pretty great. But the um, that is not a shark, so there's more to the story. Uh, we took pictures with it. Very good time. Uh, I told her that it was tradition that she had to kiss the fish, which she did not do. Very uh, embarrassing Lame. for all of our fishermen out there. I know, but I, I told her, I was like, listen, oh, and the other thing is the, uh, the hook that I told her to set, we set it a little too hard. Um, it was not sticking out of the, it was not hooked in the fish's mouth. It was hooked in the fish's forehead. Oh um, my goodness. Which I had never seen in my life. Yeah, it was like that fish could have gone at 80 miles an hour in the opposite direction and that hook was not coming out of that fish so yeah fun times wild times at right l high for that fish <laughs> uh but lark went in there and pulled the hook out anyway all by herself i didn't even tell her how hey. yeah she can't listen to this though because i never tell her that i'm proud of her for things um that's how our friendship works yes but the um so we pulled the the hook out and I tell her, I'm like, if you're not going to kiss this fish and release it, you do have to kill this fish. Like that's, you have to do the whole thing. 
Um, and we, so I go, I didn't even have a knife with me. I'll go ahead and tell this part. So I forgot all of my fishing stuff at home, which meant that, uh, and I had promised Kat that we'd go fishing. She would murder me if I did not take her, which I was hoping that they would have rentals. They did not. Um, and everything was closed. So I had to buy the price gougy pro shop pier stuff. If you've been pier fishing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I bought a $15 rod and reel for 30 bucks. And then I bought a comically tiny pre-made tackle box for like 16 bucks uh, that had about $3 worth of stuff in it. Uh-huh. And then uh, I bought these night crawlers. So for all of that, it was like 65 bucks. And the reason we were splitting a rod is because I didn't want to spend 30 bucks twice on super cheap rods. So that's what we were doing. And uh, so I had to run back and get a filleting knife because I didn't have one <laughs> for her to kill this fish. She took it off. We have a, a little fish cleaning station and uh, she is mortified that this thing's alive and she's going to have to take its life, right? If you fish, if you hunt, you know exactly what I mean. Hunting is exciting. Fish is, fishing is exciting, but I don't know many people that are stoked about the specific moment when the life leaves the eyes of something. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, Even if it's a tiny fish, it's kind of intense. I would be a and, little concerned. <laughs> yeah, as a responsible fisherman, woman, or hunter, um, you want to do that as quickly and as humanely as possible, right? It's just a good thing to do. So I'm like, all right, Beth, I'd forgotten. Every, I hadn't been fishing in so long, and I hadn't caught a fish in even longer. I'm trying to sit there and remember what I had like been taught a decade ago on dispatching fish quickly because I just do catch and release myself. I hadn't caught and killed a fish in probably 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to remember how to do it. And I was like, okay, well, I know one way that will work for sure. We're going to hold this fish you know, very firmly and we're just going to take the knife and put it between its eyes and drive it through this hole and uh, put it through its brain and just real quick finish this thing. Um, and that's what she did. And uh, she did a good job with that, but it went, it kept trying to breathe and flipping around because it's, you know, it's uh, nervous system is, is doing weird things. You know, she, she was mortified by that. because She'd never seen that before, but it like having seen that before it went on longer than it had any right to. And I know she did it right. Um, so we went back through and drove the, the knife all the way through the fish to the board. And then I went through and did it upside down. And that thing, the gills were still flaring in and out, which is just, you know, not fun. Yeah, no wonder uh, but, you guys didn't sleep last night. Yeah. Well, I told I told Kat, I was like, listen, we can. The reason I was like, not a lot of people eat croaker. I know you can, but it's not like people don't go out looking to eat croaker most of the time. Uh, a lot of people consider them to be pests. I was, I was hoping... She would get to see a sheep's head, which she did eventually from another fisherman. Um, do you know what sheep's head are, Drew? No. Okay. I'm going to need you to look them up when we're done with the podcast. But they're uh, fish, smaller fish, that have uh, human molars. Oh, oh, oh. oh I've, seen, I've seen pictures of that. Oh, Yeah. Um, they're called sheep's head. They look like sheep's feet. But same, same concept. Absolutely mortifying. I was hoping we'd hit some of those, but apparently they weren't biting uh, that particular day. But I was like, listen, Kat, uh, we have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity 
to try to go get a small shark with this fish. And she was like, all right. And um, so we, uh, we, we cut this fish up into fourths or thirds. I don't remember. It was seven inches long, so we didn't have acres of real estate to work with. We cut the tail up. Sure. Uh, we, we scaled the thing mostly. And uh, so we, we hooked the tail piece up to a hook, a bigger hook. The ridiculous little thing had two that were probably of a correct size to hook something about two feet long. And so we tossed that into the water. Nothing happened. We hung out for about half an hour. We're, we kicked on a creepy podcast while we were there. Uh, if you guys fish, the only podcast you're allowed to listen to is The Gun Wreck, and you know it. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we're listening to a creepy nighttime podcast, uh, spooky stuff. It's called The Magnus Archives. And we're just vibing. These guys next to us were going after big sharks. And they had like bought a permit to do it and all this other stuff. If we had actually hooked a shark, I was going to have to run back and buy, buy the permit for it. Um, <laughs> we really, I can't, I cannot overestimate how little we planned for this thing correctly. Um, so we, we have this piece of, of tail in the water. It's about a two inch piece of, piece of fish um, and nothing happened. So we pulled it out and said, you know what? We really scaled down the, um, the middle piece and we didn't take out the entrails so let's hook that guy up and see what happens because there had been the guys who were next to us who were going after big stuff that's that's how we saw a sheep's head because one of the things that they were using was just that full three pound sheep's head with a giant hook in its forehead bizarre um another one was a four or five pound chunk of stingray a couple big fish heads that are, they were trying to get like a six or seven foot shark um Jeez. And we were just screwing around, essentially, compared to them. Uh, super nice people, though. And uh, they had said they had witnessed someone else take specifically scaled, I think they had used whiting, uh, but maybe they had used croaker, too, and uh, hooked it up, and they had pulled some stuff out of the water, which is pretty cool. Uh, so we're like, okay, we'll use our, our, play, or, uh, our scaled piece. We hooked that up just barely. I was worried because our, our hooks were too small, really, for the bait we were using. And I figured somebody was just going to nab the piece that was free and, and get on out of there. But that did not happen. We stuck our thing in the water, and we hung out for probably 40 minutes. We recast once, and uh, we had cranked our, our guys next to us, who are much more experienced at, at fishing for sharks than we were, recommended changing the drag, which essentially means uh, letting, giving the fish a little more room to play so they don't snap the line immediately. And so we did that, and uh, we're listening to this podcast of vibing, and I hear this thing that doesn't even register in my brain because I don't go after medium to large fish really ever. And the sound is the clicking of the reel with all the drag line is flying out of the reel. And Kat, who was listening for it, does hear it and grabs this thing, this this rod that we've got. And the rod is doing an almost complete 180 into the water. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was like, what happened? I wasn't even thinking about sharks particularly. I'm like, did we grab some sort of, uh, like, I was thinking it was some sort of Spanish mackerel. I don't even know if they finished. I'm just thinking of big sporting things in the area. 
and the two guys next to us heard it and come flying over because they're like, they thought it was one of their rods because the reaction was so strong. And uh, Kat's sitting there, and she is uh, fighting for her dear life because uh, the the shark that's attached will tell you in a little bit uh, was not. Uh, so I pulled, uh, I've pulled like twelve inch uh, little sharks out of the water. Uh, this was not that, and uh, this thing was fighting like crazy, which is why I have a theory as to what what um what species it was without having confirmation which i'll explain in a minute um and it's i mean it was going berserk i have never like my my grandfather used to fish quite a bit he's he's a little older now but he he's pulled in some pretty impressive stuff and i've seen him land that stuff um and did i mention in the previous take about how to how mark didn't know how to land stuff uh yeah i believe so okay um sorry uh listeners were uh my reception's coming coming in and out so drew's kind of running interference so if you ever hear anything that's doubled up i apologize for trying um but she's fighting this thing and there the guys over there come running and saying the same things that i was which is like let it go let it go um we'll we'll reel it in when it relaxes for a minute but the thing won't so she's sitting there fighting it for at least 60 seconds where it's just pulling more line out. And I was worried um, that we just weren't going to be able to, this, this wasn't going to happen. For sure. Um, and uh, eventually she's sitting there and it stops and she does something you're technically not supposed to, where it's, it wasn't running, but it was definitely fighting still. And she just, instead of reeling, uh, she just grabbed the whole rod and yanked it about a country <laughs> mile behind her and then reeled in the uh, the slack, which you can, I mean, you could do that with fish, but when you're fishing, but I don't think of it as something you do when uh, preserving the integrity of the line in question is sure. <laughs> the name of the game. So she did kind of the instinctual kind of bass reel in situation or something you could totally do with another rod and reel, uh, which is where I bring the the definition of caught for this fish is different than uh, than other uh, fish. Uh, normally, I would consider caught fish being uh, landed. Landed meaning meaning you bring them to shore and uh, you take your hook out and all that good stuff. In this case, that is not the case for two reasons. One, we did not have a permit to land a shark. I would have happily gone in and purchased that permit. They were still open and. Like, I would have been happy to make it everything kosher. That was not going to be an issue. But two, remember, I bought this rod and reel three hours before this happened. The, the pound test, I don't know if you know anything about fishing group, but the pound test in this rod and reel was 12. Um, uh, that essentially means, Drew, the, the capability of it to, to pull in uh, fish was, was 12 pounds yeah so you're uh, way over it like you're way over your it, head it, at this point it's uh, that was the exact verbiage i used uh with the guys next to us for context those people were using one the stingray chunks they had in the water had 200 pound test and the sheep's head had 500 pound test um 
so we're we're essentially playing in the kiddie pool and then suddenly uh we're we're dealing with a whale is though i that metaphor doesn't even make sense we're wildly over our heads yeah no it's like um, trying to catch it's like trying to catch moby dick with a string and a stick yeah we we went out chasing trophy white tails with a pop gun and um we i mean truly did not think this far um so for us we just we would consider catching just being able to bring it to the surface so we could see it right that's what we wanted to do sure but freaky cat came through and fought this thing for about three minutes um back and forth um i know they could take a little longer than that but i for for someone who this is literally the second fish she's caught in her life and the first one she caught in her life happened an hour and a half before that um fought this thing pretty gamely and eventually uh, we were able to do it. The guys who were going after the big stuff were over helping us uh, and they had brought big lights. So they were shining them into the water. And uh, lo and behold, Lark brings this thing to the surface. And it's probably about three feet long. The guys next to us were like, dude, you got a four foot long shark. And I'm like, nah, no, we didn't. But this, I think three feet is a pretty, that's not a fisherman's estimate. I think that's actually what it was. I don't even know what that correlates to weight-wise, but it was significant. Pretty thick body. Um, it was gray as opposed to like a sand brown or a sand tan. So there was, we're sitting there trying to identify the thing. It's fighting like crazy, thrashing around. And again, it's pitch black. So we're catching it in occasional glimpses, but we're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pull this thing up to the pier and we're going to try to get a photo of it. If we get a photo of it, we get that far. Uh-huh. We're going to try to pull this thing all the way down the pier because no one else was on the pier and try to beach this thing. And the idea was she was going to do that. And I was going to go in and pay for the permit at the same time. So we were kosher. But we get it. We bring the thing in to the pier. We got it that far. And we got it. We knew we weren't going to be able to pull it up out of the water, up the air through the pier. That just was not ever going to take place. Yeah. Um, so we got it to the pier and uh, I took some snapshots of it, but it was just too dark to get photos, which is heartbreaking. Uh... But I got a good look at it. I'm real into sharks. So I was sitting there trying to identify it amongst stuff that was local to the area. I'll share some theories in a minute. Um, and uh, by that time, we started to get ready to move uh, all of the other lines in question. Our, 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 the other guys going after a big fish were kind of that. They're like, we'll reel in everything if you want to try this thing. And as that happened, uh, the shark went up, banged against one of the, uh, the pilings, the pier pilings, and snapped the line. Um, but we're still counting that as caught because uh, given what we had to work with, uh, we had no business being as successful as we did. And we were still able to experience the shark as fully as we could have ever dreamed. So we're calling that caught shark. So we're calling it a wee thing, but Kat did a lot of the legwork there. I cast it out to where we were going, but she did a lot of the, the fighting, which is, of course, so much of it. So good team effort there, I think. For the area we were in, it was either a, I think they're called sharp-nosed sharks, or it was a black tip, which would be 
kind of more fun. Black tips are kind of a sexier name in shark land. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a sharp nose because the tails on sharp nose were pretty long and it came to the surface. Now, I, oh, this is, you know, your adrenaline out of your mind, but all I was thinking was like, wait a minute, are thresher sharks coastal sharks? And they're totally not. Um, thresher sharks have these tails that are like the length of their body. And it looks like that super long tail, um, which makes me think it was probably a sharp nose. But either way, super exciting. And it would have been even cooler if it was a sharp nose because sharp noses only really get to like five feet, uh, uh-huh. which would mean that a three foot shark would be like a young adult shark, which would be pretty cool as opposed to, you know, just a little baby. But uh, yeah, we had a pretty amazing experience out at the pier and uh yeah, that was a first for me. I'd never caught anything remotely that large or even been part of a tag team that did so. So <laughs> that sounds it, I'm so proud of you both. That sounds like it was a great time. Uh, it was also, amazing. I didn't know you were so into sharks. I love shark. I've been shark cage, uh, not even cage diving. I've been shark free diving before. Wait, what? Um, down off Miami. Oh, yeah. Me and my uh, other buddy, Drew. And my friend Sam, who I think you know, and Caroline, mm-hmm. um, went and uh, it was supposed to be shark cage diving. And I actually got a little anxious because they were like, we're going to free dive instead. And I was like, that is not what I paid for <laughs> yeah. or mentally prepared for. Eventually, I, I made them put that shark cage in the water. But there was a time where they basically put like a, a bait sickle down. And uh, if you've seen Shark Week, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Giant frozen chunk of fish. And they go to the same place every time which means these sharks are like dinner time they popped out they were having a great time but scary thing off of florida waters there's there's a wonderful diversity of sharks but there are a lot of bulls and bull sharks are properly dangerous and there was and they're also they're very i'm assuming because they they've been using this spot a lot very used to kind of the rhythm of the basicles and not fighting the people uh, as of yet so i always worry about when wildlife is trained to associate food with uh, something people do yeah. um, seems dangerous but i've not heard of any incidents so uh reflect on that one as you will they actually got featured in shark week a, a few years ago but um there was one these sharks were basically curious and they were checking us out and they're sharks so they're doing the opportunistic thing uh which is freaky so drew and i were sitting there looking at some sharks really having kind of an amazing time uh half choking because the water was pretty choppy and we had these doofy snorkels so we could look down and then we see this shadow and we turn around and there's a 12 foot bull shark uh, (laughs) within five feet of my face which is like it's it would be an exaggeration to say that i saw double but it's not that much of an exaggeration to say i saw double my soul almost left my body that was terrifying and that's what i said you're putting the cage in they're like you're not gonna be able to say anything see anything i was like i don't care <laughs> i paid for a stupid cage <laughs> right if i wanted to free dive i would have planned on free diving but i did free dive so it counts counting this shark catch some of you listeners might be like that totally doesn't count but i feel like it does given the circumstances we were given amazing time but all that to say i want a shark skin belt now <laughs> i want one bad or a shark skin holster I know there are a lot of situations in which sharks are endangered. And if you know anything about sharks, you know, the, the overfish, overfishing situation, excuse me, is preposterous to say the least. So I'd want to find something where it's uh, 
ethical so we can still have these amazing creatures roaming around. But that's on the to-do list. It's a weak segue, but I really wanted to talk about it today. So um, here we are. It's like, I, I think, think you just wanted. To, I think you wanted to spin your fishing yarn. Yeah, that's all you. I don't to have do a lot of fishing yarns, so. Um, I think we've ended up talking about sharks more than we did conceal carry belts, but I hope you guys found that entertaining. I also think technically that can qualify as a tale from the range. I don't know. I was you. I was going to say I was going to elect to forego our tale from the range today, uh, instead for a special edition of Tale from the Pier. Tales from the Pier, very far into the pier, lovely time. But now to summarize, sharks are cool. Conceal carry belts are even cooler if you're a concealed carrier it's a worthwhile investment you can find some for very little uh read reviews make sure you're getting the right fit for you and as always if you are going to conceal carry be meticulously careful that you do it exactly legally and that you do it exactly safely every single time go get training if you don't have it all right before we leave we don't have Tales from the Range because we just did Tales from the Range, but we want to plug Sonoran Desert Institute just one more time for you guys. Sonoran Desert Institute, as we mentioned before, is an online accredited school by the Distance Education Accrediting Commission uh, that offers one degree and two certificate programs. And uh, we are absolutely delighted to be a part of the SDI family. If you guys want to learn more about them, but don't want to hear it from two dudes who are in marketing like us, Hop on to SDI.edu, hit the news tab. On the right, you'll see grad features. Click on those. You will see from the graduate horse's mouth what it's like to be a part of the SDI family, what it was like going to school here, and what they're doing now. All of which I'm sure uh, they could say even better than we ever could, right? Uh, having gone through this whole experience, we strongly recommend you check them out. Follow us on social media if you elect to be on social media for fun gun stuff. Also, news, updates, blog posts, all that good stuff. Folks, this has been a wonderful time. Have fun out there, and we will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.